Okay, so as you're turning in your Bibles to Hebrews, if you're not already there, we welcomed a lot of uh, new life to the Grace family this week. Caroline and Taylor Cross. Taylor's one of our young deacons. They welcomed their first two kids. They had twin boys. They gave birth early this week. And then Mackenzie and Nathan Morris on Tuesday morning welcomed uh, their precious little girl, their second daughter, and Heather and Parker Levesey, our oldest daughter. They welcomed on Tuesday afternoon uh, their second daughter, Sophia Scott. So, hey, we're going to grow this church one way or the other, all right? So, Grace Kids grew by four, and we pray. Praise God. I'll probably share a little more about that later in the message today. Um, but I want to go ahead and jump right in here with Hebrews 2.1. Our theme is Hebrews, an anchor for the soul, right? Why do we need an anchor for the soul? Well, because the Bible is clear. We tend to drift. We don't stay connected all the time. I wish we did. I wish I did. But I don't. There are times when I start to move away, and so I need to be anchored back to the Lord. So let's look at Hebrews 2.1. Let's say it again out loud together, then we'll throw a few blanks in it. Here we go. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Good. Excuse me. Let's do it again, but I want you to think about it. Why is he saying we must give the more earnest heed? We must... Listen better. Pay attention more. Why? Well, remember, Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is the greatest of all time. And because he's so much greater, you can't slip back into your old ways or your old religiosity of Judaism. You need to pay attention to the gospel. Those are the things that we've heard. Because if we don't pay attention, our tendency is to drift away. So that being said, you've had time to look at it. Let's throw some blanks in it. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Very good. All right. So that's an important one. Hide that one in your heart. That's a very, very important verse. What did we discover in the scripture last week? Let me give you last week's points. Number one, tenaciously hold the truth. Your eternal destination depends on it. And I don't just mean your truth or my truth, the truth. And who is the truth? Well, here it is. Number two, totally trust Christ. He is in complete control. If you were to ask me to sum up chapter 2 of Hebrews, I would tell you this. Listen to Jesus. Follow Christ. Listen to him because the penalties for ignoring him are too severe. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Thankfully, some people listened to God's call last week, and they trusted Christ when they heard that message. But if we ignore Jesus, we miss out on his salvation. Listen to Jesus because he's tasted death for us all. He shattered the effects of death for those of us who will listen to him and follow. Listen to Jesus because he helps us in our temptation. His victorious experience and overcome coming temptation allows us to receive help when we find ourselves tempted. And the reality is that there are storms in all of our lives. Some of you guys are too young to remember 9-11. Some of you were not there. Or you would have no memory. I can still remember in my childhood the Challenger explosion. Many of you will remember that. I know where I was. But here's the deal. I pray to God that we never have another uh, incident like a 9-11. But in your life, you will have your own 9-11s. You will have things in your life that will hit you. My dear friend Mike Rouse, his sweet wife Carol, they were so kind to us when we came. Mike was our deacon chairman a couple of years ago. Dear brother, very healthy couple, just entering into retirement season, and Carol has a massive stroke just 40-some days ago. 
I sat in Mike's home with him Thursday afternoon of this past week, and, and I looked at a brother who's just exhausted. And I know this church family is going to reach out and help and love them as we've tried to do. And some of you have helped build them a ramp. But he's gotten Miss Carol home now. And they're coming trying to do rehab. And, and they're just good, godly people. But they're in the midst of a storm. There are others. I could name, man, I could name a lot of people. And whatever that looks like in your life, you really need to know who's in charge. Who am I trusting? Because in the midst of that, I saw Mike displaying such tremendous faith. Living out for better, for worse. Living out in sickness and in health. And if you live long enough, guys, it's coming. It's coming for us all. And if the Lord doesn't call us out of here in rapture, we are going to meet him through the portal of death. So are you ready? Let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word and let me pick up with verse 10. Remember, Jesus temporarily was made a little lower than angels and he suffered and died, but then he was crowned with glory and honor as he tasted death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, meaning everything is for his glory and everything was made by him in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified. So for both Jesus and for us, all of us are one. For which reason he is then not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus says we're part of the family, guys. You're my brothers and my sisters if you stay with Jesus. And he says, he, he now begins to quote some Old Testament. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Now he goes to the great prophet Isaiah. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. There's this family motif going on. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, and all that means is this, we are of a human nature. We have the nature of humankind. We have partaken of flesh and blood. He himself likewise shared in the same, meaning Jesus' incarnation, that through death, Real death, human death, not just the appearance of death. He, Christ, might destroy him who had the power of death. Who was that? Well, it was the devil. And he would release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. If you're here today and you fear death, or if you're watching or you're listening now or later and you have a fear of death, the Bible says you're in bondage. That is a sin, it is a sin to have a fear nature, and so trust and listen to what God's going to say to you today and lose that fear and find your faith. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels. That is not a great translation. It would be better to say, take the nature of. It's really a better rendering of the Greek language there. He uh, does not take the nature of angels, but does give aid or better take the nature of the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. It's talking about Jesus's humanity that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted or being tested, and he is able to aid those who are being tempted. Heavenly Father, this is an incredible passage of Scripture. We could spend a very, very long time. But I pray that through the few statements that are made here today and the few key truths that are outlined, the people would walk away with a deeper love for an understanding of Jesus Christ, that we would never want to go back. We would never want to go to that old life, that BC life, 
And like the Jews of old who were right on the precipice of walking away, the writer is begging them. The Holy Spirit through this writer is saying, please, see how much better Jesus is. You are part of a family. Don't walk all out on the family. Thank you, God, for these truths. Let us have eyes to see and ears to hear and then hands and feet to go from this place to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as you're being seated, I'm gonna pick up with point number three. Last week was what we're called to do, hold the truth and trust Christ. Today is why. Why are you telling me to hold on to this truth and trust Christ? Because Christ is both the cause and the captain of our salvation and our sanctification. So Jesus not only saves you, Jesus sets you apart. Jesus puts you on a path of Christ-likeness to be conformed to the image of God's Son. Verse 10, it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. In other words, he's bringing us the glory that he has that the captain of their salvation would be perfect through sufferings. What is all of that? Okay. So in this section, the writer of Hebrews uses a unique word, archegos, for the first time he uses this word. And we see it again played out in Hebrews 12, we'll get there, but the Greek word for captain means a pioneer or a leader. Literally, it's rendered the first one to lead the way. So it's made of two Greek words smashed together, um, arche, which means the first, and agos, which means to lead. Ago to lead and RK first. So first leader. Some of your Bible translations like the NIV or the NASB will say he is the author. The problem with that rendering is it doesn't take into the, mo the context of the motif the writer's been using about sort of the sailing idea or the drifting concept, sort of the boat imagery. And so I like the idea of the captain. He's the cause of all things. By him, for him, through him, Jesus did it all. But he's also at the helm. He didn't just create it and blow the wind in the sails and let it go. He's standing there at the helm, the captain. Now, I'm going to say a name, and I'm going to see if it registers with you. I want to see how many of you people know who I'm talking about. I've done this in all three services, and most people in all three services have known the name. You ready? Here's the name. Captain Jack Sparrow. All right. So, plenty of heathens in here, I think. Maybe only Pastor Frank has no idea who I'm talking about. Is that true? Do you you kind of know. Oh, you're a heathen too. Okay, so, man, I'm glad he's not giving me a grade anymore. Okay, so Captain Jack Sparrow, good Captain, bad. I'm arguing he's a pretty rotten captain. I think if you pay attention to those Pirate of the Caribbean movies, he's not a good captain. He'd sell out his crew for treasure, power to keep his status as captain. He was an egomaniacal leader. He always thought of himself first. He even made you call him captain when he didn't have a ship. When he wasn't even at the helm of the Black Pearl, he, he thought he was the captain. Is that the kind of captain you want leading your life? See, the problem is when people think they can captain their own life, when I can stand at the helm of my own vessel, there's a major problem. I don't know what's over the horizon. I, I can't navigate these storms. I can't possibly see what's coming. And so when you try to do it yourself, you end up way off course and out of whack. And so what I want is a captain who's not an egomaniac, I want a captain who thinks of me first. I want a captain who's willing to lay his life down to say, you know what, if I'm on the boat, I'll go down with the ship, I'll lay my life down for you. And when I think about Jesus, he is that kind of captain. 
He is the kind of captain that says, I'll lay it down. I'll give death so that you can have life. I'll go down with the ship. And of course, then God raised him back to new life. But he is the cause of our salvation. He is the captain of our salvation. And and if we think about what's happened here, it says at the end of verse 9 that he tasted death for everyone. But now he's the captain of our salvation made perfect through sufferings. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought he was already perfect. Are we not talking about God in flesh? 100% God, 100% man. Isn't Jesus perfect? Well, let's understand the language here. What, what the Bible is saying here is that he was made complete, mature, in other words, completely whole, finished through his suffering, through his sacrifice for us. Teleo or teleio, depending on how you say it. But the word in Greek comes from another very famous place, or we find it in another very famous place. Let's look at the screens to John 19. You'll remember Jesus on the cross. He knew all things were accomplished, that scripture may be fulfilled. He was thirsty. They filled a, a sponge with wine and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus, verse 30, had received the sour wine, he said, tetelestai, or teleio is that root word in the middle there. But in this part of speech, it means it was, is, and always will be finished paid in full. Jesus said it is complete. And notice it doesn't say that they took his life. It says he gave up his spirit. Jesus chose when he would die. Jesus chose all of it because he was in control. And so what he's saying is he's made perfect in the sense that it is complete. It is finished. In other words, Jewish Christian, don't go backwards Don't go back into Judaism. You still have to come to the temple with your sacrifices. Jesus paid the price. Jesus did it all. Now check out this foundational truth. God offers both the sentence unto death and salvation unto life for the sins of people through the sacrifice of Christ. Guys, if you want to understand the Bible, you have got to keep this concept in balance in your heart and in your mind. God is judge. God hates sin. God is a God of wrath, and God will not allow sin to go unpunished nor tolerate sin in his presence. So the sentence of sin, the wages, is death. That's what God said to Adam. That's what God's been doing ever since. And Satan, of course, held the keys for a season. Until the the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, Satan held the keys and then Jesus took them. And so Satan was really over the realm of death. We'll get to that in a moment. But the same God who is the God of punishment, if you remember from Genesis, is the God of provision. He provides salvation. So he gives the sentence, but he pays the price. Imagine the judge. I don't think Judge Judy would do this. I don't think she'd give the sentence and then say, okay, $1,000. And then pull out her wallet or her purse and say, now here you go, and pay it. But this is what your God did for you. Your God and my God paid the price through Christ. And Jesus not only saves us, but he sets us apart. See, here's the deal, guys. Let me tell you this before I move to that. The Jews had a really hard time with the concept of a suffering Messiah. Remember what they thought. Messiah's going to come riding on that white stallion. He's going to liberate us from Roman oppression. He's going to free us politically, and he's going to be our religious leader. Not Jesus. Jesus came on 
a little donkey, in fact, the foal of a donkey, a little young one, very humbly, because the first time he comes is as the sacrificial lamb. The second time he comes is as the lion from the tribe of Judah, right? And so what we find is that Jesus is the conquering king, but in his first coming, his first advent, his incarnation, Jesus had to pay the price. And so they didn't understand. Even Jews today didn't understand. Now imagine, it's clamping down. The, the intensity of the political pressure is getting that much greater. And so the tendency is, man, where is the Messiah? Maybe we're wrong in following this guy. Maybe we shouldn't lay down our life for him. But he said, no, 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 hold tight with him. Be part of the family. He's going to be your captain. And, verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are of one. You can be part of the family of God. He can set you apart. You know, you say things like this. I certainly do. I wish I could be a better person. I know I'm a Christian, but I still struggle. I'm tempted by sin. I'm tested, and, and I still suffer with bad choices. You know, why is it, God, that when they cut me off out here, that I pray for a big, gnarly, lifted truck with a brush guard to push them off the road in Jesus' name? Why do I feel that way? Why does that sensation never end? And I don't want to wave and say, be blessed. I want to give them another type of thing. And I shouldn't do that. I know you're holier than me, but listen, I'm just confessing. The reality is this. We've trusted Christ for salvation, but are we trusting Christ for sanctification? Or is there, this war, is there, is there a war that wages within? Look at Romans 7. The apostle Paul struggled with this. Guys, he said, for I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me in my sinful nature. I know there's nothing good in here. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. And, and I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, and I keep on doing it. Some translations will say, oh, what a predicament I'm in. But he says, now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer just I, but this sin, this nature of sin that I got from my daddy. Adam, Adam, I got it from the first man. Now, of course, Paul is saved. Paul is saved and he's saying this. Look what he goes on to conclude in 24.5. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He said, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, Paul said, yeah, there's a war. But there's a savior, there's a deliverer, there's one who will get me through this. And so this is what the section of scripture is really speaking to here. Look at verse 12. He quotes from Psalm 22. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. What he's saying is we're in this thing together. We're going to be joined together. Don't go backwards, man. Don't go back. There's a day when we join together. In fact, he's quoting from a very important messianic psalm. Now, what I just read to you came from Psalm 22, 22, but you probably know the earlier part of that psalm. Jesus proclaimed it from the cross. People have mispreached this and misunderstood this for years. It really drives me nuts when they say weird theological untruths about this. But Jesus made a declaration from the cross. He cried, my God, my God. You know what he said next? Why hast thou forsaken me? And, and I've heard a lot of weird renderings. But what Jesus is doing, he's in front of a primarily Jewish audience. The Roman soldiers weren't quite clear of what was going on here, but primarily in front of a Jewish audience, remember, that's their hymn book, guys. They know the hymns. They know the songs. Just like you know the lyric to a song, they knew the words of the hymn. 
And if you trace that hymn, yes, it talks about the dogs surrounding him, and it talks about them piercing his hands, and it talks about them gambling for his clothes, but not a bone would be broken. It talks about him dying between thieves and all of these things, but it turns, that psalm turns, and it says, but I'm going to trust God. I, I believe that God is for me. I believe he wants what is best. And in that Messianic Psalm, I think Jesus is saying there's this, there's this triumph. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Yes, they're attacking. Yes, they're coming at me. Yes, they're trying to hold me down. Even take my very life, Jesus was saying. And yet, God, I'll sing your praise. We'll be gathered together around you and we'll sing your praise. And then he goes on to quote from uh, Isaiah chapter 8. And he says, I will put my trust in him. Jesus now as a son is saying, I will put my trust in my father. And then in verse, uh, the second half of 13, he says, here I am or here am I and the children whom God has given me. Now that means two things. Isaiah originally said that about his own family. Here am I, it's a repeat from um, Isaiah 6, it's a repeat there. Here am I, in that one he said, Lord, send me. But now Isaiah is saying, God, I've been proclaiming your word, here am I. And then he says, and the children whom God has given me, I mean his natural family and his faith family. Here am I. And so what Jesus is saying here, or what the writer is saying, and it's about Christ, is that Jesus is kind of looking to the Father, and he's saying, this is the family. We're going to praise you in the assembly. We're going to sing your praise. We're not going to go back. Yes, there's going to be suffering. Yes, at times it'll feel like God has forsaken us, but we will not go backward. I will be the captain of their salvation. I have caused it. Now I will be their captain, and we will move forward together. It's kind of like, uh, in some ways, a great coach that's cheering you on inspiring you, encouraging you. Don't you quit. Don't you give up. Vince Lombardi, of course, has said many famous things, but he said, it's not whether you get down, it's whether you get up. Lombardi knew you were going to get knocked down. Lombardi knew you were going to take a lick. Are you going to get back up? In my opinion, one of the greatest college coaches of all time, of course, because I'm a Carolina Tar Heel fan, was Dean Smith. We'll shift to basketball for a second. In his 36 years at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, he racked up a then record 879 victories. Smith was a master on and off the court. He had two national titles, 11 Final Four appearances, and he ran a great basketball program. He promoted hard work and respect on and off the court. As you can imagine, as a child who was already a Tar Heel fan, to get to watch guys like Michael Jordan play and to play for your hero. But I'll tell you another reason I loved Dean Smith. I didn't know this as a kid. As a teenager, I began to study more about his life. And then as a, an adult, particularly, I've loved the fact that Dean Smith really paved the way for desegregation in college sports. Dean Smith really promoted integration on the court and off, and changed the way college athletics looked in its time. What I loved about Smith was watching him with 30 seconds on the clock. Because they may be down 8 or 10 or 12, and Dean Smith never stopped. He always coached. And I saw a lot of those games as a kid turn into their favor. 
Because he kept going until the buzzer sounded. And tales say that Dean Smith loved his boys whether they were on the court or off. And he kept very close relationships with most of his players for the rest of his life. Because he knew that I'm not just coaching you in the big moments. I'm coaching you in life all the time. Now, look, in an infinitely greater way. Jesus doesn't just save us by his sacrifice and send us on. He is always there with us, moving us ahead, coaching us, staying with us in a far greater way. He's sending the Holy Spirit to live in us, to guard us, to guide us. So guys, you can't just live your life looking at the old rugged cross. You can't just live your life looking at the garden tomb. We'll be there. Next month we'll be there, but you can't stay there. You can't just be looking at an empty tomb. Your faith has got to mean more than that. You can't just come in church and raise your hands and sing God's praise if you're going to go out there and live like the devil. You can't do it. you got to let them see your Christianity. Because yet again this week, somebody was speaking to me about some things that had happened with some so-called Christians in a church not too terribly far away and telling me about how that racked them and, and, and impacted them in a very negative way. But I'm telling you right now, Christians or people that claim to be Christians, they can push people away. But when Christians are the real deal and we're living out our faith before a watching world, man, it can be very attractive because people say, I need that. I want that. What is it they've got that I don't have? Man, that, we've got Jesus, and you need him. He is our captain. He is the cause of our salvation and sanctification. And last truth I want you to see out of chapter 2. Christ identifies with us in our humanity, suffering, and temptation. And I'm just taking it in the order it comes in the text. Christ identifies with us. In humanity, look at verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that doesn't mean partaken like eaten. It means we are flesh and blood. We're part of flesh and blood. He likewise shared in the same through death. He really died because he was really human so that he might destroy him who had the power of death. See, at the garden, Satan gained the power of death. He became the God of this age, the God of this world, the death God, if you will, a little g, of course, because he's the one that led Adam and Eve to make the decision they did to disobey God and fall. And of course, because of that fall, they died physically and spiritually. They were separated from God. Devil means slanderer, someone who uses deception to mislead God's people. Satan, uh, Satan means adversary. So whatever name... But the enemy came to bring death. Our Savior came, though, to bring life. And he has ultimately destroyed our enemy and liberated us from a chief fear. See, the truth is, some of y'all here today, you fear death. You're scared to death that if, if it comes for you and it's knocking today, and nobody in this room knows when that day is coming, but you're scared to death on what's on the other side of the page. Now, I'll be honest with you. I told you this before. I don't want to see it today. Man, I'm ready when it comes. I know exactly where I'll be. I know what I'll be doing. I'll be having a heavenly homecoming. I'm going to see my Savior. I'm going to spend time in the arms of Jesus and looking at his wonderful face and putting my hand in his nail-scarred hand. But I'm also going to see my daddy, and I'm going to see my grandparents, and I'm going to see some other special people that are there. And that cloud of witnesses that surrounds, man, I'm telling you, I know what's going to happen. And you don't need to fear it. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. This corruptible, guys, has got to put on incorruption. Y'all look at that. There you go. And this mortal's got to put on immortality. And when that happens, either through death or rapture, that's the only two options you've got. 
So either way, you gotta be ready to see Jesus. Through death or through rapture, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. See, Jesus had to identify with us in our humanity. He had to identify with us. And, and not only that, but in our suffering and in our temptation, look at this. As he identifies with us, Jesus removes our fears. He manifests his mercy. He proves his faithfulness, and he helps us overcome temptations. And we're going to leave that up for a few minutes. And online, just be patient, okay? They're going to leave that screen up for a little bit to let everybody finish their notes. And here's the deal. If you pay attention to what the order I've written that, you'll see that outlined in these last few verses of chapter 2. Whatever the need, whatever the trial, the captain is more than adequate to be ministers to Abraham's descendants. He didn't give aid to angels, but gives aid to the seed of Abraham. It's really better rendered, he took the nature of the seed of Abraham. He didn't take the nature of an angel. God did not send an angel to save you. God sent angels as messengers. God may still send angels as messengers, but he's never sent an angel to save you. Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is much higher than the angels now, made lower temporarily in incarnation, but today much higher, crowned with glory and honor. You are not to worship the angels. You are to worship Christ and Christ alone. And so when we think about this, that we now are part of Abraham's seed. Now here's the deal. You guys are going to say, whoa, back up, chief. I'm not a Jew. I don't know if we have any ethnic Jews in the room. Maybe, but very few likely where we live. And so I've had some very, very good Jewish friends over the years. My freshman roommate at William and Mary was a Jew from Jerusalem, actually, his family. And uh, they'd moved up to Rochester, New York, and he went to school with me, and he was a dear friend of mine. I've had some other very close people in my life that are actually Jews, and I'm not. I would be of the ethnos. It's funny, because I'm ethnic. Y'all wouldn't know it by looking at me, right? But everybody in the Bible that's a non-Jew is part of the ethnic peoples. You are an ethnos. You are Gentile. That's how we translate it. A Greek, a Gentile. And so um, you say, well, I'm not of the seed of Abraham. Ah, don't be so fast. The Bible says we're grafted in. Now, I think God still has a plan for Jewish people separated from the ethnos, but I don't have time to unpack all of that. But I will tell you, if we look at the word of God with care, Galatians 3 for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. That has nothing to do with gender ideology of 2022, okay? I just want you to understand what the Bible's saying. There is the walls of division. Because there were even walls at the temple that kept women and men apart. Women, you can't go here. You can't go into this area. And Jesus is a, he, he demolished those. So look. There's no Jew, no Greek, slave, no free, male, nor female. You are all one, same type thing. You're one family. You're one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. So who is this for? Every believer. It's not just for the Jews of the writer's day. It's not just for the Jews of 60 or so AD. It's for all of us. Therefore, because we're one in all, in all things, Christ had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of man. What is, what is that? Some of your translations will say atonement. It just means this. The word is very simple when you break it down. God hates sin. And you can't punish sin, you punish sinners. You can't punish uh, stealing, you punish a thief. You can't punish lying, you punish a liar. 
And so the wrath of God is poured out on those who sin. Well, who sins? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so God has a true wrath, a righteous indignation, a hatred of sin. It is putrid in his nostrils. And so propitiation says that Jesus and Jesus Christ alone satisfies the wrath of God. The the sacrifice of Christ and then his subsequent burial and by God's power resurrection satisfied God and reconciled humankind for those who would trust Christ. For those for whom, now who did he taste death for? Well, it said at the end of verse 9 that he tasted death for everyone, but not everyone is saved. Many will not trust the Lord. Many will walk from God. And how how is it, though, that Jesus facing and overcoming temptation can help me with my own? It says at the end of the chapter, for in that, in, in making a way for us to be right with God, he himself has suffered being tempted, being tested, being tried, but he is able to aid those who are tempted. I don't, what, what do you mean by that? How does he help me? How does his suffering help me and mine? Well, let's think about it. Everybody used to like the WWJD bracelets, right? They try to go through life. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Problem is they never read their Bible, so they had no clue. So I like the WDJD. What did Jesus do? How about let's start there. Get in the Word and let the Word get in you and learn what Jesus did do. Learn how he did respond. He probably wouldn't run people off the road with his big lifted truck and brush guard. But he did crack the whip and turn over their tables. I like that Jesus too. So here's the thing. Jesus did stand up for right. Jesus didn't throw stones, but Jesus also said, go and sin no more. Jesus was, it was incredible when you study the life of Christ. And you you think about the old saying, don't judge a man until you've walked a mile in his shoes. Well, I don't know what it's like to live your life, nor do you know what it's like to live mine. I don't know what it's like to have extreme poverty. But like our team this week in India, I've been, uh, Kev, we've been in those slums many times. We've seen the cultures that live hand to mouth. We've seen where if they don't get it that day, they don't eat it. But I still don't know what that experience is like. I know a little more about cancer, having had a little bit of, uh, of skin cancer, but not to the depth of some of you. I know a little more about dementia and cognitive issues, having walked that terrible road of Alzheimer's in our family. And I know more about some things by experience, but I'm here to tell you because Jesus was human and in every way tempted like us, meaning it might not be the exact same category, but he knew suffering. He knew suffering greater than any of us have ever or will ever know suffering. And so no matter where you are, up on the mountaintop, he's been there, he is there, down in the valley. He's been there, he is there. He is all in all, so he can identify and he can help. And you know, somebody that tells you maybe something's happened in their life, or maybe, I'm sorry, maybe something's happened in your life, and you, you know good and well they've never faced anything like it, and they come up and say, man, I know exactly what you're going through. Don't you want to smack your head off? I mean, that's probably not the right response. But don't you at least think about punching them in the snot locker just a little bit, just a little bit. I'm working on some of that too. Don't you at least go, man, you don't know. I don't think it's, it's rarely appropriate to say such things. I know what you're going. No, you don't. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Jesus knows what they're going through. 
Jesus knows the thoughts they think before they come into their brain and the days they live before they've lived even a one. Jesus knows. We don't. And so where does that lead us to do? What are we called to do, church? First, tenaciously hold the truth. Your eternal destination depends on it. Not just your truth, my truth, his truth. Totally trust Christ. He's in complete control. Why do I do that? That's what to do. Why? Because Christ is the cause and captain of my salvation and sanctification, and he identifies with us in our humanity, in our suffering, in our temptation. You know, last week we had some folks give their life to Christ. And now I'm going to encourage you. If you've given your life to Christ but never done anything else, if you've never been baptized, you're supposed to be baptized by immersion after salvation. We're going to have baptisms in both service next week. I'm going to do the 9 o'clock. We've got, uh, made some promises to who would be first in the, in the 9 o'clock service. So I'm going to keep those promises. And if you want to be baptized, you need to come. A young man came in one of the earlier services. You need to come and say, I need to follow through with that. You've got to show on the outside what God's done on the inside. I've never, ever, ever begrudged putting this ring on my finger because I want you to know of the commitment. Don't you ever, ever look at baptism as, well, I don't really need to do that. You need to show the world. It doesn't make you saved, just like this doesn't make me married, but it shows the world that you're committed to one and he's committed to you. Now, you also need to be growing here. Grow in a group, guys. GPS your life. GPS, find and follow God's direction. Grow in a grace group. Participate in worship. Sing when we sing. Open the word when we open the word. Give time, talent, treasure. Participate and then serve. Find a place of service. Listen, I just told you about four new babies. Our children's ministry needs help. Not just because of those four. Do you realize last week was the largest Labor Day Grace Baptist Church has had in years? I went back to just five, just to double check. I wanted to know long before COVID. And this has been, even in this worship, in this place, I know it's weird because you can't see everybody. But next week, you, we'll have more than enough room for you to invite folks, friends and family and neighbors, people you don't like, man, invite them. You need to get right with God and them anyway. Invite them to church. You know, when we got here in late 2018, we finally found our home. That was a long story. But God gave us a, a, a really a dream home for us and for our kids. And um, we're over in Oak Ridge. Many of you know that. But we didn't know anything about the area. And somebody gave us a gift binder. It's a three-ring binder. It had uh, information about that area. They live out there. This dear family, a real sweet family in our church. And they gave us some restaurant information and some gift cards. And it was by taking that book, and over time, we went through every single page and went to every restaurant there. There are a lot of the ones that people knew in, in Oak Ridge, kind of the, the quintessential restaurants there. And um, you know the anxieties you have when you move your family? You bring in two middle schoolers and a, and a college kid, and, and you're moving your family, and you're getting settled in a new area. Over time, when you drive the roads enough, you go to enough places, those things begin to sort of melt away. Guys, don't overcomplicate this. Faith with Jesus is much like this. When you start your journey, there's a lot you don't know and a lot to learn. Well, you're still going to have a lifetime and even an eternity to learn and grow. But the longer you walk with the Lord and the more tightly you hold his hand, which is the hand of truth, and the more you let him take the helm, because if you try to knock him away, he will not play second chair with you. He will drive or do nothing. And so the more you see him captaining your life, the more he calms your fears, the more he helps you with temptations, the more you really discover it is a wonderful life to be a child of God. It's not perfect. 
Man, it's not always easy. Get rid of this garbage preaching out there and teaching that says, you get all the money, you get the health, you get it all if you just come to Jesus. That is garbage, and it's turned a lot of people from the faith. You will suffer. In this world, you will have storms and trials and temptations. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. So you will have it hard sometimes, but is Jesus truly in control of your life? Is he the captain? And if he's the captain, are you really letting him steer the ship? Is he the captain of salvation and sanctification? What am I asking y'all? Who's at the helm? I want you to stand with me, and I want to share this last thing. By way of prayer, by way of praise, I made some statements to our guys and gals in all staff Tuesday morning. I came to work that day knowing I wouldn't be here terribly long. It was the day they would induce Heather. She and Parker had to be at the hospital at 5.30. Lucy had stayed with us that night, and so I didn't get much sleep. I had a little foot in my ear most of the night and wiggle worm beside of me, which is awesome. But um, we woke up, and I came on to church, and at 8.30 we had all staff. And I told our, our men and women on our team that uh, I, can, I know this about my daughter. I know this about her husband. No matter what the day held, they were going to praise the Lord. I knew that they were going to be okay and have victory in Jesus. Because it's a little unnerving. Your daughter's going in, have their second child. You want things to go well. Things were pretty good with Lucy. She had a little bit of a cord. She had a kidney issue, many of you know about, but had a cord wrap issue right at the end. And um, thankfully, Heather was dilated enough to get her on out naturally. <clears throat> this time everything looked great. We had the all staff. I said, they're going to praise God, and I'm going to take off here in a little bit. I met Cindy at the hospital. We had Lucy with us, and TJ and Angie, Parker's parents, were on their way up. And uh, things were going great, man. Things are progressing. Heather's all the way up to a seven in dilation, and so we're back there with her. We go eat lunch with Lucy and, and come back up, and things are good. We're in the waiting room. Lucy fell asleep on Cindy's shoulders, and then the text came in that felt like it stopped our world. And it said, the baby's heart rate is dropping. Something, please pray. And it was from Parker. And since Cindy had Lucy, I rushed back there. They let me through. And I went and I heard the beeping of the machine that had been in the 130s. And that beep, 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 had really changed a lot. And doctors and nurses are rushing in and out of the room. So I decided it's best for me to stay out. I didn't know what kind of condition Heather was in. And I went right back out, kind of rushed back to the waiting room, and I grabbed Lucy up, and she slept on my shoulder, and I said, you probably need to go back there. And so Cindy did, and was there just in time to see them cart Heather out. And uh, I don't know if you even had time to pray over her. I know she, you and I had prayed, but uh, she saw them carting her to the OR for an emergency C-section. They didn't know what was going on. And so she came back, and I'm telling you, that 30 minutes felt like 30 hours, maybe even 30 days. It felt like every second was just agonizingly slow. Because the last we heard was the baby's heart rate is dropping. They're going to get her right now. So she went back for an emergency C-section. And you have a choice in that moment. You have a choice. You can either pray and trust the Lord regardless of outcome and say, God, we believe that not only did you give us Heather, but you've given them Sophia. And that Sophia Scott is loved by you, she's formed by you, and we trust you no matter what. And in about 30 minutes, TJ and Angie were about to come in, but we got that text from Heather that said, healthy mama, healthy baby. 
and you begin to breathe again, right? But I want to make sure you understand something. Did I show them the picture in this service? Oh, well, I should probably do that. Because that would not be a good G-pop if I didn't do that. I want you to understand something. There's Lucy holding her sister. And yes, her, her cord was wrapped too, but she came out just perfect. Like these other kids this week were so blessed. And as they were over at the house last night, and our different kids are holding Sophia and passing her around, and Lucy's being Lucy and just, ah, and we're watching a little cartoon. I looked around the room, and I see Heather, and she's glowing. She looks great. She's very sore. Otherwise, she would have been here today. And I see Parker, our son-in-law, who really loves her and leads well. And I see Holly, and I see Hannah, and I see little Bobby, who's not really little at all, but... I see my little Bobo right there holding his niece, his second niece, and I thank God for this gift. But I'm going to tell you something. I want you to understand my heart in this. Even if the outcome had been different Tuesday afternoon, God is still good. And God is still worthy of praise. Because it doesn't always turn out that way. And I know there's some preaching and teaching out there that says, if you'll just believe and if you just have enough faith. But we're not Christian scientists. We're Christians of the Bible. And the Bible tells me that it rains on the just and the unjust. And so I don't know where you are. And I don't know if you're on the mountaintop or in the deepest valley or probably like many of us somewhere in between. But my God is good and he is faithful wherever you are. And he is in control. And just like I said to our staff, our kids and, and now even grandkids are going to praise God. And we're trying to build a legacy in them because we know Jesus is at the helm. So today, if you want to bring something to the Lord, we've had some people hurting and dealing with some things. And this altar has had a lot of people at it. If you'd like to bring something here, if you'd like to bring a word of thanks, I tell you, I'm thanking God a lot. I'm praising God this gift because you don't want to ever see your child hurt you want their heart to be protected and so I'm praising God and I'm praising God for the gift of new life all around us but you know today some of you need new life that only Jesus can give you and we're going to be here ready to receive you so come up and share with us and talk to us thank you so much for watching us today God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.